0: This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 32. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, "'Let us go over to the other side of the lake.' So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "'Master, Master, we're going to drown.' He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. Then he sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission.
1: Well, throughout the month of September, we've been spending time on these Sunday mornings reflecting on the call to worship that you heard read earlier in the service. It's a call to worship that acknowledges the variety of reasons that people would show up here on a Sunday morning for church. Uh, Some of the reasons we might all hold in common, but for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the unique things uh, that would draw someone to a church. Uh, Two weeks ago, how spiritual curiosity draws people to one of the few places where questions about the meaning of life are pondered and where faith is still encouraged. And then last week, we talked about a longing for community, how it inspires us to find others that we can journey alongside through all of life's ups and downs. But why else do people continue to walk through the doors of a church? Well, for some of us, It's a restlessness in our soul that pushes us to seek out help, support, or guidance from a community of faith. I came across this reading from Parker Palmer that I I think describes something that I want to say just to help frame this morning's sermon. He says, The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places. But it is also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we will walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently by the base of a tree, and fade into our surroundings, the wild animal we seek might put in an appearance. This morning, that's a little bit of what I hope to do, to create a a space for us to reflect on some of the restlessness in our soul. But I want to give just a word of caution at the beginning that we are going to be talking about sensitive material this morning. And I realize that you may have shown up here and not been prepared to hear a message on restlessness. And if you don't feel comfortable, I would just encourage you to listen to the podcast later on. But I'm going to try to make this morning like we're sitting gently and quietly at the base of a tree so that the restlessness we might have brought in with us this morning can feel safe and come out. Now, this morning's reading features two separate episodes, so we're going to start with the first. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Now, We've already heard a couple of comments about this morning about how it seems like this morning is still the middle of summer. And as far as summer activities goes, being in a boat is about as, uh, as good as it gets for my kids. And uh, if being in a boat is exciting, the only thing that's better than that is being pulled on a tube by a boat on the water. So I got a picture here of, uh, this is obviously Owen and Jude and, and my nephew Trenton in the middle, and just like the pure joy on their face. They're just like, this is as good as it gets, right? They're just enjoying being pulled by the tube. Um, but but real joy in going on a, being pulled on a tube by a boat is the excitement that comes when you go like this. Now, I know you can't see it really, so I, I blew up Jude's face here for you all to see. Just... You know, it's, it's joy, but it's also a little terror, right? There's a little something else here. Um, but that's just part of it. That's just getting the energy ramped up. But, but the real excitement in being pulled on a tube behind a boat is the next picture right here. This is like, this is what it's all about. Upside down, arms and legs flailing all over the place. I love it. One of my favorite pictures from our summer. Now, this is, this is pure conjecture. This, this has no basis in any, in any research or history or anything but I, I've got to wonder if Jesus knew a storm was brewing, right? You know, like when my kids, when their uncles take them out on a boat, they put them on the back of the tube, they pull them around. Like, he knows the The one driving the boat knows full well that this is going to end like this, right? He knows this is where this is going. We'll just go in circles for a little bit, but eventually you will be in the air like this. And I just wonder, like, when Jesus says these words, now just imagine that he knew a storm was coming, and listen to the previous verse again. One day Jesus says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Can you imagine? He's just like, I know there's a wicked storm coming. So yeah, let's go go out on the lake. This is going to be fun. So he doesn't say, I can imagine he wouldn't have said this in a mean way. Like, I hope that you, you get hurt in this. But I'm going to flip you off the tube. Like, this is what Jesus is saying, right? Let's go across to the other side of the lake. Because I am going to flip you off the tube, and it is going to be amazing. So the story goes, they get in the boat. As they sailed, he fell asleep. So whether he knew a storm was coming or not, Jesus is not concerned. He has a sleep in the front of the boat. And then a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. So all of a sudden, this, this peaceful boat ride turns into this, this scary situation where the storm is raging, the boat is being swamped, and everyone is, is filled with fear. Now, sometimes the storms of life brew slowly, and they gradually soak us through. Other times they appear out of nowhere, catching us off guard, flipping our boat over entirely. But either way, life storms can rob us of our peace. Now we all come in here from different places, we're all different people, and so our restlessness can be the result of a nearly infinite number of experiences. Maybe your restlessness is a result of responsibilities at home, school, or work that you can't keep up with. Or maybe your restlessness is a result of a general uneasiness about the future, or maybe even despair about the future. Maybe it's a questioning, a wavering, or even a disappearing faith. Maybe it's a discouraging health diagnosis for yourself or someone you love. Maybe your restlessness is a result of emotions that you don't understand or that you can't seem to keep under control. Maybe words have cut you deep and robbed you of your self-worth. Maybe you're restless as a result of a clinical struggle with anxiety or depression, or maybe non-clinical, stress, fatigue, discouragement, or disappointment. Maybe it's a sense of being overwhelmed by the frenetic pace of your life. Maybe it's conflict in a relationship that feels like it's teetering on the edge, or a financial squeeze that you can't seem to find your way out of. Or maybe your restlessness is something you can't quite put a finger on. We all know the feeling of one or more of these things making us lose sleep at night. Some of us could put a check beside many of those boxes. This morning, then, is about where we go when our boats are being swamped. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown, which of course begs the question when life storms are raging around us, how quickly do we turn to Jesus? How quickly, when any of these things are happening, do we say, God, I'm going to drown here. There's this line from St. Augustine, 4th century bishop's famous work, the Confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And there's so much truth in this statement, and yet we try to find rest in all kinds of different places and often forget that Jesus is on the boat with us. Now, it goes without saying that Jesus is not the same thing as church. But if a restless soul can't find Jesus in church, then what on earth are we doing here, right? Frederick Buechner explains it well. A church is no holier than any other place. God is not more in a church than he is anywhere else. But what makes a church holy in a special way is that we ourselves are more present in it. When we show up here, we're paying a little more attention to God's presence in our lives. Now, unfortunately, churches sometimes garner a reputation for being the last place in the world someone wants to go with their vulnerable, restless soul. Are people going to notice that something's not right with me? Will they see through my facade, the smile I'm putting on this morning? Will I be able to hold myself together? Are people going to ask me questions? Well, maybe I should just stay home. And probably a number of us have stayed home because of the restlessness we've experienced. Now, I've stood here in a pew with my eyes welling up from my own restlessness, wondering how on earth I'm supposed to get up on this stage and preach a sermon. Fortunately for me, I'm forced to be here on Sunday mornings. Because the truth is, is that on the other side of it, I'm reminded of God's presence in my life. I'm reminded of his faithfulness. I'm reminded of the support of the community. And as difficult as it is sometimes to to get through a service or a morning, I'm reminded that there's no better or safer place to be. Now, here's the harsh truth about these concerns that we have, about whether or not this is a safe place for us. First of all, most people are so overwhelmed with their own stuff they don't stand a chance of noticing your restlessness. Do you think, like, oh, if I show up, everyone's going to know that something's wrong. Well, something's wrong with everyone. So they probably aren't as focused on you as you think. Right? That's one thing for us. And here's another truth about these concerns. And this is maybe even a little more significant than that. This comes from a book by Mike Iaconelli called Messy Spirituality. The other truth about this concern that we have of showing up at church and people seeing through our externals is that spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now, in the mess of our lives, accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives as the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It is about God's being present in the mess of our unfixedness. That's the truth when we run into a barrier of should I go or, or what will people think, is that this is not a place for perfect people, but it's a pe- place for us to come with our unfixedness and realize that God is present with us in the midst of it. God is present in our lives. God is present in this place, just like Jesus was present in the boat with the disciples while the storm swirled around them. But when they woke him up, the Bible tells us that he got up, and rebuke the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided and all was calm. And this is at least part of what we mean when our call to worship talks about recentering ourselves in the story of Jesus. That we remember, in case we've forgotten since last Sunday, that we live in a world where a raging storm was rebuked and all was calm. Now When the storm had been calmed, Luke goes on to tell us, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Galilee is familiar. Galilee is home turf. That's where the Jews live. That's where they hang out. On the other side of the lake is where the Gentiles hang out. I was thinking about this, and this last summer, Sophie and I went on a road trip to Flint, Michigan. Every daughter's dream. Daddy, take me to Flint. And so we're driving down this one street, and I'm telling you, I mean, a third of the buildings were abandoned or bordered up. It was just, like, nasty. And then it was like, if, they, if the business was open, it was either a liquor store or a pawn shop or a gun store or an adult entertainment store. It was just, like, one after the next. It was like, lock the doors, honey. Like, let's, let's keep going here. And so they get to the other side of the lake, and they get out of this, this unfamiliar territory, this territory where the people were not like them. They didn't maybe have the same values, the same practices, the same priorities as them. They were different. Now, if Jesus might have known that a storm was brewing, did he also know that as soon as he stepped ashore, he would be confronted by a demon-possessed man from the town? Uh what now? Did I hear you say, demon-possessed man? That's right. Now, what do we do with a story like this in our modern rational world? A story about someone possessed by a demon. Well, since we're trying to be honest this morning, I might as well admit that I would rather talk about some parts of the Bible than others. Some parts of the Bible are great to talk about, and others aren't. Next month, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not that it's easy. It's tough stuff, actually. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be pushed and stretched. But if my memory serves me right, I don't think there are any demons in the Sermon on the Mount. But of course, I chose this story this morning. No one made me talk about a person possessed by demons. I chose this. As I was thinking about a restlessness in our soul, I thought that these twin stories of this raging storm and this person possessed by evil would help us give an analogy for our own restlessness. There are a couple of ways that this story speaks to us. The first is that it challenges our modern sensibilities, and it presents us with the possibility with a reminder that there is real evil in the world and that evil itself can sometimes completely overwhelm a person possess a person's life i've had firsthand experience with this i've seen it close up much closer than i would wish to i've seen a, pers- a person lose control of something That even with my critical, thoroughly modern mind, I could only refer to as demonic. Now, of course, I realize there are other possible explanations for what was happening to this man from the Gerasenes. And it's okay to explore those ideas, of course. So long as we don't fail to acknowledge the reality of evil in our world and the ways that it manifests itself. We hear about this man. It's really heartbreaking, the description of his life prior to this encounter with Jesus. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. Many times, it, the demon, had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places, isolated from his community, isolated from his people. Two phrases stuck out to me in this little passage, for a long time and many times, this oppression had taken over his life. This is who he was, because it had been so long. Sometimes our restlessness can feel less like a season and more like an era. Sometimes our restlessness is like winter, and then spring comes, and we have rest and peace. But sometimes our restlessness is like winter and spring and summer and fall and winter and spring and summer and fall, and winter, and spring, and summer, and fall, and we don't experience that peace and that release. For a long time, many times, this man was oppressed. Waiting out a storm, that's one thing, but what happens when the storm becomes our identity? And so these two stories increase in intensity, a a quick storm that scares the disciples for a minute, and Jesus brings peace to, and then perhaps years of oppression in this man's life. Frederick Buechner says, as much as it is our hope, it is our hopelessness that brings us to a church of a Sunday. Sometimes we come here because we're like, I'm in this messy situation and and I need help to get out of it. And sometimes we come here because we're like, there's no way I will ever get out of this situation. Sometimes that's the kind of restlessness that drives us to church on a Sunday morning. Well, the demons begged Jesus to let them go into a herd of pigs That were feeding there on the hillside. They didn't want him to send them into the abyss. And in the first century, in their kind of understanding of the world, the water was the abyss, right? So it's kind of interesting. We've just heard this story about this storm brewing up on this lake, and and then the the demons are saying, Don't send us out into the abyss. Don't send us into that, that unfathomable expanse of water. Like, don't send us out into this place. So send us into these pigs instead. And our reading ended with the line, he gave them permission. So, you can go into the pigs. Now, Jesus had just demonstrated his power and his authority over nature, and this wasn't like parking meter attendant authority, and it was way above like senior pastor authority. We're talking like he told a a storm to stop, and now he is telling these demons where they may and may not go. Our reading stopped mid-scene, and I want to pick it up so we don't… Uh, we were not left hanging here. So, Luke 8, starting verse 33. So, he gives them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. The chaos of the storm, the chaos of this man's life, juxtaposed with a peace that followed. The storm stops, and the lake is calm. The possession comes to an end, and the man is in his right mind. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. In a great reversal, the man is told to return to his family to tell the good news. Remember, he had been driven away from his family, away from his townsfolk, away from the people lived in solitary places, and now Jesus sends him back. Go back to the people that sent you out and tell them about the good news. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says that this is the first apostle to the Gentiles, the first person to bring the good news to the non-Jewish people, a man who had been possessed by demons, and his storm was calmed. Two stories about restlessness, two stories about the restoration of peace. When the storms of life surround us, when we feel overwhelmed by evil, we need to remember that Jesus is able to respond. The image of deliverance should linger with us. And here's the thing, though. These aren't just, like, stories from Jesus' life. It's not like, well, Jesus did that for his disciples, and Jesus did that for the man from the Gerasenes. In 2 Corinthians 1 as Paul is writing to the church, this is what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. That's restlessness right there. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. These are powerful words. It's one thing to picture Jesus calming a storm or picture Jesus calming or casting out the demons from this man, it's another thing to imagine, well, what if Jesus isn't physically standing in front of us? And Paul says, well, it doesn't actually matter because we were facing death. We were totally overwhelmed. Life was coming down like crazy on us and and Jesus reached out and delivered us. He reflects back on this experience, like, remember when we went through those hardships? You knew about that. Well, He's delivered us. And he says, right now, actually, we're confident that He will deliver us from the new restlessness that we're experiencing right now. And further than that, He will continue to deliver us. He has delivered us already. We can remember the times in the past. He'll deliver us from what we're going through right now. And when we find ourselves in a storm, when we find ourselves overwhelmed by evil in the future, He will continue to deliver us. That's the good news. Larry Crabb writes that beneath the surface of everyone's life, especially the more mature, is an ache that will not go away. It can be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear, and for good reason. We were designed to enjoy a better world than this, and until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. An aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. And so, in the midst of this realism, we need to be reminded that Jesus is present and available and able to confront the storm, to cast out the demon, to bring peace to our restless souls. The words of the Old Testament prophet, the Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I want us to bring this back to the church, because that's what we're talking about this month. Why do people show up in church? What good is this place for the restlessness in our souls? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once referred to church as the place where faith is a possibility. As I said earlier, this is one of the only places where faith is actually encouraged anymore. And so in this place, we encourage faith. I read a quote earlier from this book, Messy Spirituality. I I just came across that quote actually this week because I was looking for a story. I read this book like 17 years ago when it first came out. And there's a story in here that has stuck with me ever since. And so I was looking just to make sure I had the facts right. And the author tells a story about a, a minister in England who one morning stood up in front of his congregation, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I can't be your pastor. I, I've lost my faith. I don't believe in the Christian story anymore. And so at the end of the service, the elders of the church gathered together with the members to talk about what should be done. And in a sense, it's obvious what should be done. You kind of come up with a way, how do we help him exit with grace? How do we search and find a new leader? But that's not what happened. The elders stood before the pastor and said, Sir, we understand you have come to the painful conclusion that Christianity is not true. We believe it is true. In fact, we're so convinced it is true, we want you to stay on as our pastor. We want you to stand up each Sunday and preach your doubts to us. It's okay. We want to hear them. Not so we can argue with you, but so that this can be a place where you can honestly seek the truth. For three years, the pastor preached his doubts. And one morning, he stood in the pulpit, looked out at the congregation with his eyes full of tears, and said, I have found my faith again. Thank you for trusting the gospel. Thank you for waiting for me to find my faith again. The story has always stuck with me, in part because there was a, a long stretch of my life where I wasn't sure that the church responded properly. I think, I, I think for, a, for a few years, I thought, they probably should have let him go. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't know. This is a much better story. But this isn't a story about how everything worked out well in the end. And I was actually thinking, maybe I shouldn't even talk about the part where he found his faith again, because I don't want to give the impression that that's what it's all about. For me, the power of the story is that a church said to a, a member of its community, and it doesn't matter if it's the pastor or someone else, the church said to someone who is struggling with a restlessness in his soul, stay here with us. We want you here. This is the best place for you to be. And that's what I hope this place can be for all of us. So what about you? When life is overwhelming or disappointing, when you're feeling restless, can this church be a place of refuge? Could you find peace and hope here? I'm going to invite you to stand now. We're going to sing a song in closing together. And I invite you to use this as a time of prayer, of singing. We will have prayer available at the, the front, at the conclusion of this song. Um, some of us will go off into discussion, and, and we'll talk about this theme, and others are welcome to linger here for prayer. But let's sing this next song and try to sing it from a place of whatever it is that restlessness that you carry, whatever it is that you feel like there's no way through, or whatever it is that you feel like maybe God is starting to carry you through, let's... Let's reflect on on those things as we sing this together. And so, Lord, we give thanks that although this is far from the only place we can find you, that we know we can find you here and have found you this morning. We thank you for speaking to us through these stories of the authority and the power that you demonstrated in the past. To instill in us a faith that you can do the same thing because of your power today. And so God, I pray that for those who are feeling overwhelmed by restlessness, that they would now feel, feel overwhelmed by the presence of your Spirit instead. And so God, send us from this place with a comfort and a knowledge and a confidence that you go with us. And that we go with one another. That we're not doing this alone. That this is a place where we can come with all of our unfixedness. And we can seek you together. We can find you and we can be found by you. And so we give thanks. In Christ's name, amen.